Hello and welcome. It is the Eric Erickson Show. I just so happen to be Eric Erickson. I want to do something a little bit different this morning. I know everybody is tired of the coronavirus stuff. I, I know it, and, and there's so much news. Um, so if you'll let me talk for a little bit, and then if anybody wants to call in and ask questions here in a little bit, uh, we'll, we'll get to the phone number and everything here later. Uh, I just want to I want to bring us up to speed on what's happening around the state of Georgia. And uh, the governor is going to join me at 11 o'clock. Governor Kemp will be calling in in the 11 o'clock hour uh, to talk about what is happening in the state, what he is advising folks. Uh, and so let me let me break everything down for you as best I can. What's happening around the state? Um, a lot of school systems are beginning to close around the state of Georgia because of the virus. Uh, let me give you, if I can, the the audit numbers right now. And then I want to explain as well why why are people so concerned about this as opposed to H one N one and things like that. Why are people concerned? Um, the first thing you need to know is that the overarching concern here is hospitalization. Let's go back to the data that we have. Um, we, we started this week. Today is March 13th, Friday the 13th. Yay. Uh, we started this week with real concerns about having two to 300 cases in the United States of COVID-19. We are ending the week uh, verging on 2,000 cases. That's how quickly it is spreading. There are a lot of people using the H1N1 comparison. The H1N1 comparison actually was uh, had a mortality rate of about a tenth of a percent uh, to eight-tenths of a percent, which is the seasonal flu rate. This virus is actually more deadly. Uh, this virus, uh, actually, we're now learning spreads faster than the flu. You know, originally, the World Health Organization on March 3rd said that this virus spreads uh, less rapidly than the flu. The, the, the number that people are hearing is is the R-naught uh, um, or, or I'm sorry, R ought, you've seen it written out R zero. And that means that person, how many people can that first per person, how many people can the first person infect? And the seasonal flu, one person can infect 1.3 people with the flu. With the COVID-19, one person infects two to three people. And it's looking more and more like, here's part of the problem. When you take out the Chinese data, Take out the Chinese data, and suddenly what you have is um, a, a mass explosion of the virus. Take out the Chinese data, and suddenly what you have is a, a massive pile of infection that has a higher death rate and spreads faster. And last in the year longer. Now, what do I mean by that? It, it is it is it is obvious now. We know that the Chinese lied about their data. The the Chinese say that there were eighty thousand nine hundred forty five cases of the coronavirus in China. By the way, as a random aside, I learned last year, your host, me. I realize most of you are thinking, "Who is this guy?" Because I'm new for a lot of you. You're wondering who on earth is this guy. Well, I, I, I do have a somewhat national presence, among other things, and I want you people to know the information minister of China, the commie information minister of the nation of China has blocked me on Twitter. I've never even interacted with that guy. 
but like everyone else, he's going to repent or burn. I, I, I that dude, um, the day of judgment is not going to come well for the 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 uh, Chicom information minister, and not because he blocked me on Twitter, but because he's a unrepentant communist. But I, I was actually proud of myself last night, nonetheless. So we know the Chinese are a bunch of liars. And so when you subtract China from the data and you just look at what's going on with Western Europe, what you find is that the infection does spread faster than the flu. And what you find is that while 99 to 98% of people are are probably going to be okay, right now it's only 95%, but we think uh, there are a lot of unreported cases. Although 99 to 98% of the people are going to be fine, 10% of the people who get it are going to require hospitalization. And that 10%, you're telling yourself it's it's old people, it's people over 60 who are going to require hospitalization. What we're seeing in France and we're seeing in Italy, what we're seeing in Great Britain, uh, what we're seeing in Denmark and Belgium is that it's people over 30 who may require hospitalization. The older you get or the, the more underlying conditions you have, the more likely you are to have to require hospitalization. Uh, but it's not just 60-year-olds and up uh, who are requiring it. It's, it's 10% of people who get it are uh, requiring hospitalization. And that's the concern here. Please please don't misunderstand me. With, with H1N1, uh, not a lot of people died. It got it swept through like a, like a flu. It had symptoms like a flu. And it had a death rate like a flu. This sweeps through faster than the flu. A mild case of COVID-19 is, is worse than a mild case of the flu. And right now, the, the uh, global death rate is 5.2%. We Again, we expect that to come down to 1% to 2%, but that's still the Spanish flu rate. So it's, it's concerning to epidemiologists. It's concerning. And I was in a briefing yesterday, and here's what I was told uh, by the government officials. The concern is not that a bunch of people are going to die right now. And, and please understand that because because I hear I, I feel like I got to do cleanup for a lot of friends of mine who are out there saying this is no big deal. It's just the common cold. You're not going to get it. You know, you you may very well not get this. But the CDC and the Trump administration increasingly believe that if they can't get people to stop meeting in large crowds in the next two and a half weeks, uh, a great many of you are going to get it. You may never know that you're going to get it, but you're going to get it. And that's their concern because 10% of people who get it have require hospitalization. And so if you only pay attention, I got three hours today, and a reminder, the governor's coming up at 11 o'clock, but if you only pay attention to one thing this entire day, if, if everything else I say is white noise or you mishear me, please listen to this right now. And please understand, I'm, I'm not trying to give you some sort of spin. I'm trying to give you the facts. And, and please take this away. The concern right now is not that you're going to get the coronavirus. The concern right now is not that you're going to die of COVID-19. The concern right now has nothing to do with any of that. The concern, the reason for the government wanting to shut down sporting events, the reason the government doesn't want you to be in school right now, the reason the government doesn't want anyone out anywhere is because we do not have as a nation the hospital bed capacity for the people who will require it if this virus continues to spread unabated right now. At this point, they've given up on stopping the spread of COVID-19. Their goal now is to slow its spread so that does it, as it does wind through the population, hospital beds can be recirculated for those who will need them. If you look at what happened in Italy, 
it got so out of control so quickly in Italy, they've run out of hospital space, and they're having to make in-the-field decisions on who lives and who dies. And we don't want that here. And the only way to stop it from getting to that point is to stop people from congregating in large spaces, stop people from visiting hospitals, stop schools from meeting, and have everybody shelter in place. That is the concern. And I realize you're thinking again that uh, 98 to 99 percent of people are going to survive it. That's true. But that depends on hospitalization. And if 10 percent of people get it, if this explodes and 10 percent of people get it, then there aren't going to be enough hospitals. Uh, 10% of people need hospitalization. There isn't enough hospital capacity. And one of the reasons, interestingly enough, there is not enough hospital capacity in the United States right now is because a lot of major areas have had a big flu outbreak. So a lot of people are still hospitalized for the flu this year, and they're still in the hospital. You get COVID-19 into the hospital on top of the flu in the hospital. You've got very bad things happening, but they just don't have the hospital space. That's what this is about. And, and that's why people need you to take precautions to help stop spreading it. If you get it, you're probably going to be okay, particularly if, if you're 40 and 45 and under. I'm saying 45 because I'm 44, so that puts me in it. Um, but that's the concern. Now, in Georgia, Metro Atlanta schools are shutting down. Some of the other school districts in the state are beginning to shut down. The University System of Georgia is shutting down. Major League Soccer is shutting down. Major League Baseball is shutting down. The National Basketball Association is shutting down. Uh, Golf is shutting down. No word yet on the Masters, but uh, the player tournament, they're canceling it. They will probably cancel the Masters, and I'm going to cry because for the first time in my life, I actually get to go to the Masters, and now I may not get to because of the stupid virus. And, and again, you're listening to me and you're hearing people say this is just the common cold and it's no big deal and people are making a big deal out of this and it's a media conspiracy to get the president. And listen, is the media politicizing this? Oh, you're darn right. The media is totally politicizing this. The daily grind of, of, of relentless antagonism towards President Trump and the media has shaped their entire narrative. And I suspect it has caused a number of people who would not be dismissive of this virus to be dismissive of it. And I can't blame them. When you got Don Lemon having a complete meltdown on, uh, on CNN with John Kasich. You can't blame people for thinking this is nice. You can't blame people for thinking this is overrated. You can't blame people for thinking the press is politicizing this. They are politicizing it. And we might as well acknowledge that members of the media are politicizing this. Now, hey, look at the the way the Wuhan virus thing. You got members of the media for two months refer to it as the Wuhan virus. And then when the Trump administration begins to push back on China, they're like, oh, it's racist. It's racist. You can't say that. Is it not interesting that when the communist Chinese begin complaining, the media, uh, the American media falls in line? There are concerns. And I, I, I just I, I'm yes, this is broken record time because you need to understand this. The, the government concern is not that you get this and die because you're probably not going to get it and you're probably not going to die if you do get it. The government concern is what we're seeing in France and Germany and Italy and England and Sweden and Denmark and Ireland and Canada and everywhere not named China and Iran. Ten percent of the people who get this will require hospitalization. We do not have enough bed space right now in American hospitals to cover this if this spreads at the rate that it's spreading in Europe. And we've got to reduce the spread that's happening in Europe in this country. And we can do that. By the way, do you know one of the reasons that it, it spreads so quickly and so thoroughly uh, in, um, in in Italy? 
in northern Italy, there are a lot of uh, leather plants and leather manufacturers. And many of the major Italian uh, businesses sold to China. And the Chinese sent people from Wuhan to operate in the factories in Italy. And there are regular flights from northern Italy to Wuhan. And we, this country, this president, shut down the border and travel with China and helped in a way that Italy did not. Here's Major Garrett, a journalist on CBS, talking about this. You cannot belittle the coronavirus. It is growing and it is spreading. And the president is right. That travel restriction on China, as every public health official we've talked to said, bought the country time. It did. Uh, Here's Dr. Anthony Fauci. I, I think it absolutely has. I believe if we did not do that with China early on. What about with Europe? Oh, right. Well, I think that was a prudent choice. We spent a lot of time thinking about it, discussing it, about whether we should do it. And it was the right public health call. And here's the numerical reason why. If you look back early on, Chinese travelers who were infected seeded not only the United States, but countries in Europe, including Italy. If you look today at the majority of cases that are new cases, not old ones, new cases throughout the world, the majority of them are from Europe, Europe to other countries. If you look in the United States at states that have new cases, the majority of them are coming from that region. It was based on that that the travel restriction was suggested and accepted. Now, a lot of people in the media and a lot of anti-Trump voices out there have been blowing the president up over this European travel ban. And here comes Anthony Fauci, who they all respect. And he's the one truth teller, they say. And he said, yeah, the European travel ban is actually prudent. And here's why. Are they going to apologize to the president? Yes, the media's politicized this. But here's the thing. Just because the media is politicizing it doesn't mean there's not a problem. They're going to politicize everything. If there was a nuclear war, the nuclear war would be very, very serious. But the media would still blame the president. That doesn't mean the war is not serious. It just means the press has become hyperpartisan. And we've got to do a better job of navigating a hyperpartisan press to figure out what's real and what's not. And I can assure you this is a concern. Now, we are open to the phone lines. If you want to call, maybe you don't. Maybe you just want to hear me talk, and that's fine. I want to do a, a big explanation of what's going on in the state and what's going on in the nation. Uh, we do have other news I do want to get to. I, I do want to get to the Bernie Sanders stuff. I do want to get to Joe Biden stuff. I do want to get to the state legislature here. Did you know the Democrats in Georgia have voted against a constitutional amendment that would make it clear only citizens can vote. Um, I want to get into that. Uh, Cal Thomas is actually going to join me on the show. You know Cal Thomas, the the syndicated columnist. We got a lot to do. I really do want to take any phone calls. If you got any questions, frankly, if you got questions on other topics too, I'll take them because I am tired of talking about this, but I feel obligated to. The phone number is 877-973-7425, 877-973-7425. And yep, it is me, Eric Erickson. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. And yeah, seriously, uh, if you call, call in and listen, there are some people who want to vent. The, you think I'm overreacting or, or you've got questions. And, and I really do want to uh, I, I really do want to talk about the data and the information that's out there. I have been in a lot of briefings. I want to be able to relate to you the information as accurately as I can. 
and if you got questions about it, or honestly, if you got another topic out there that you think I hadn't brought up, and it's Friday, might as well. 877-973-7425, 877-973-7425. Really happy to chat with you about these things, Uh, and and we may not agree, but but definitely want to talk to you about them. Uh, Let's go to Lee and Roswell. Lee, welcome to the program. Hi there, Eric. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, yeah. So this morning I went on to the uh, tracking thing that I helpfully got from you by sending data to your text service. And there were 130,000 cases confirmed. And I just refreshed like right before the program started. And at 8.53 a.m., they're now reporting 91,000. Right. It looks like they took out Italy and they took out Iran. Uh Uh-huh. So why would they take out Italy? um, I I understand Iran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually not sure. I saw that this morning myself. I'm glad you actually called in about that. I was about to say it. And and I'm assuming it's Italy has put a pause on reporting. Um, that it's an Italian thing. And so here's the, the situation we know from Iran. Uh, we A private company from Colorado flew satellites over Iran. Uh, and the reason they did it is because there are intelligence reports from the U.S. and its allies that the outbreak in Iran is massively more severe than they're letting on. They're saying 10,000 cases. And the reports from inside Iran suggest about a million cases. Uh, particularly in one of the religious hotspots in Iran. And so a private company decided, you know, we got a satellite in the area. Let's look and see what we're seeing. And you can actually see from the satellite mass graves being dug, and you can see mountains of lime. Uh, It looks like it snowed in certain parts of Iran, and it's not snow. It's it's piles of lime and giant ditches that they're digging, uh, all of which are bigger than football fields, which suggests there really is a a, not only a mass outbreak, uh, but mass fatality rate in Iran right now. They don't have the capability to do it. In fact, yesterday they requested financial assistance from the International Monetary Fund, and they're not really saying uh, what it is. And this morning there's a report that the Supreme Leader now has it as well. Um, so that data is has been taken out, uh, but the Chinese data needs to be taken out. Uh, I, I was again, I was in a I was in a briefing yesterday, and. I was I was allowed to eavesdrop. I couldn't ask questions. It was a governmental briefing with a major company in Texas, and they asked about the Chinese data, and the White House official said very bluntly that the Chinese data is wrong. We have enough intelligence and satellite data in China to show the outbreak there was massively more widespread and disruptive than the Chinese are telling us. And what happens is if you take out the Chinese data and take out the Iranian data, the fatality rate for COVID-19 goes from 3.6% right now to 5.2%. They want to caution everyone that when I give you that number, 5% of people get are going to die. They want to caution that the reality is still, they believe, between 1% and 2% uh, because there are a lot of people who are getting it and they think it's the flu. What we're seeing in this country right now is that there are massive spikes in uh, urban areas in Los Angeles, in San Francisco, in Seattle, in New York City. Uh, in Boston, in Chicago, we're seeing spikes in people going to the emergency room for flu at a time that those should be now declining. And they're believing that it is the COVID-19 in the wild uh, in community spread, which is why they're shutting down so many events uh, and so many situations globally. Uh, we'll keep taking phone calls when we come back. 877-97-ERIC. 
877-973-7425. There is other information out there I want to fill you in and do a deep dive on Georgia, Georgia schools. A lot of parents are are texting me, direct messaging me on Instagram, what should we do about our schools? Uh, We got vacations coming up. What do we do? We'll talk about that with you. Happy to take your calls, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And I promise we'll get into the Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders debate situation. That's going to be a nasty, nasty affair coming up. Bernie Sanders, everybody thought he was going to drop out. He's saying, nope, he is doubling down and he is staying in the race. And the Democrats are really livid. I have gone back and checked the uh, Johns Hopkins University system that that I've been sending you guys the link. And if you haven't seen the link or you've lost it, if you text the word data to 33777, um, I'll spit you back a link. And also to um, Jason Thacker's book on artificial intelligence, which I do highly recommend. Seriously, it's a great book. Um, uh, but they have taken Italy out, and they they seemingly haven't updated a lot. But let me just give you perspective. We did start this week. Uh, this Monday, we had 300 cases in the United States. Uh, we're at about 1,700 cases five days later. Uh, we will cross 2,000 probably by the time we get back here on Monday. Uh, that's how quickly this is spreading. In just one week, we are going from 300 to 2,000. Uh, that that gives you a sense of this. It, it is spreading very, very fast per capita. Uh, and again, if you only take away one thing from my show today, please take away this. The concern is that not that you're going to get in and die. The concern is that we now know 10% of people who get it, regardless of age, are going to need hospitalization. We do not have the hospital capacity in the country right now uh, to to handle that if this spreads too far too fast. So we've got to get people out of uh, large gatherings. Um, Okay, Um, let's go back to the phones. Uh, If you want to call in and talk about this, uh, I'm I'm happy to answer any questions. I have had a bunch of briefings. The governor is going to join me at 11 o'clock this morning uh, to talk about what's going on in the state. I want to bring you updates on the state. Uh, But I also, a lot of people have questions. And I realize that that I'm I feel if we can have a little bit of confession here before I go back to the phones real quick, I feel somewhat uh, on uh, on a lonely island uh, because I got a lot of friends of mine in conservative media online on radio and on TV who are telling you this really isn't a big deal. And part of me has a vested interest here because if my wife gets it, it's going to be very serious. She has lung cancer and it is spreading very rapidly, including now here in Georgia. And a lot of people are. Uh, acting as if it is no big deal, and that's going to perpetuate the spread. And again, the, it's not that you're going to die, but that 10% of people are going to need hospitalization, and we don't have the capacity in this country right now, if we can't slow down its spread, to be able to handle all that. And I would hate for my wife to get caught in that, uh, or anyone else's uh, wife or, or mother or father or anyone else to do it. So... Uh, just please be be careful out there. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, Emmett in Gainesville, Georgia, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hey, how you doing, Eric? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Hey, look, me and my wife are planning a trip down to uh, Jamaica. Uh, it's going to be the middle of uh, May. She's worried about the coronavirus and talking about we need to cancel, need to cancel. What, what's your opinion? Uh, so have you already booked the trip? Yes, sir. Okay. 
Uh, I would, if it's not to the middle of May, I wouldn't cancel yet. Um, we may have a handle on this. My suspicion is that towards the end of April, we will clearly have gotten a handle on it. Jamaica will as well. Right now, Jamaica has eight confirmed cases, um, and and they're all still active. They haven't had any recovered. It's certainly spreading in parts of the island. Uh, but again, Jamaica is moving very quickly to tamp down on this as well, and so are we. So if your trip's not until May, uh, get towards the end of April and reassess the situation. If it's continuing to spread out there, then we'll have a good sense that uh, this, this isn't going anywhere, and you You'll have an opportunity to cancel, and frankly, you'll probably have a better sense by then of what your uh, the, the the plane the plane company, the hotel company, the resort company, everybody else is thinking because the situations for those companies are still updating. Essentially, right now, a lot of companies are saying if you're traveling in the next 30 days, uh, give them a call. Uh, you're traveling in more than 30 days, and so they may not have a policy in place yet because they're still waiting to see how this thing plays out. So I wouldn't do it yet. Um, be thinking about what you may have to do and, and continue to be apprised of the situation. But again, right now in Jamaica, there are eight cases only, uh, and you'll be able to watch that number and see if it goes up or goes down. Let me give you the audit here in Georgia right now. Uh, in, Gore, in, let's see, Gordon County, we got two cases. In Floyd County, one. In Polk County, we got one. Bartow County has four. Cherokee County has two. Gwinnett County has two. Coweta County has one. Fulton County has eight. Lee County has one. Uh, Lowndes County has one. And and Carleton County, that's the Way Cross area, they've got one. Uh, So it's starting to spread out of the Atlanta area, but it's mostly the suburban Atlanta area. That's why we're seeing schools shut down. Uh, the governor does not want to compel school systems to shut down, but most of them are now. Even into middle Georgia, schools are beginning to contemplate. In fact, yesterday in the governor's press conference, and we'll talk about that again, the governor's going to join me at 11. Uh, he was pointing out that people in, in middle Georgia uh, have not been as impacted. It, it's run along the border with Florida now. There are several counties down on the Florida line. And then you've got the metro Atlanta area and up to Floyd County and, and uh, the like that are impacted here. So the metro counties, the governor wants them to shut down because, again, the, the numbers are small right now, uh, but we know they're going to expand. There are people who are being tested. Uh, the tests haven't come back yet, and so they want to be careful. It hasn't gotten into middle Georgia per se yet. It may be there, and we just don't know. And the governor's urging caution. Uh, if if I were, if you're listening right now and you're wondering what should you do, you're a school administrator or something, I would tell you spring break is coming up. For every school in Georgia, they're either on or, or they're about to be spring break. Go on and start taking spring break. Uh, get out of the schools. Get the teachers out of the schools. Get the kids out. If you've got to extend into June um, or everybody, every school system has emergency days baked in, uh, use up those emergency days. It's not like we're going to have snow days this year. Uh, but go on and start going on spring break if you can uh, after today. Go on and make the call for next week and, and stretch your breaks out a couple of weeks. Uh, you're doing your community a favor. Uh, the situation right now is we've got to protect our senior citizen population, and we've got to protect our people with compromised immune systems. And the only way to do that is, is to get people to bunker down. Now, what you shouldn't do is if your school shuts down and go on spring break, go off and do stuff. I actually uh, have had several people say, listen, our schools are thinking of canceling prom events and stuff. But parents and others are getting together and they want to do prom and shouldn't we be social distancing? Yes, you, you really should. 
and, and the concern here, again, it's, it's not you and your kids. It's your parents and grandparents who are a big concern. Now, if you don't love your grandmother and your grandfather, maybe you don't care, but I'm sure somebody loves your grandmom and your granddaddy, so please be thoughtful about them. Uh, if they get it, it's going to be very bad for them. And again, the hospital capacity is what we're worried about here in Georgia, particularly because we had a bad flu season in Georgia, and there are still people recovering from the flu. And that just impacts them further as well, because if you have the flu, you can still get COVID-19, and, and that's that's really bad. So um, don't go to gatherings. Stay out of restaurants if you can. Uh, cook from home if you can. Uh, and, and really, seriously, be a hermit. Avoid people if you can. Uh, there's lots of stuff on Disney Plus and Netflix and Apple TV and Hulu and Amazon Prime to binge on for the next few weeks. If you're a school system, uh, seriously, uh, I would listen to the governor here. He's not going to make you do it right now because the cases are so small. But if we can't get them contained, you're going to be forced to do it. You might as well go on and do it optionally now here around spring break uh, so you're not disrupting the end of the year and standardized testing and all of that. Uh, go on and do it now around spring break. Shut down your schools for the next couple of weeks. Uh, give the kids time home. If you want to give them assignments to do in the next week or so, go for it. But minimizing human contact, athletic events, things like that, actually a smart thing to do right now. Uh, the phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Jacob in Jasper, Georgia, one of my favorite places. Man, I, I like going up to Jasper. Jacob, how are you? Well, Jacob... All right. I'm going to be charitable and I'm going to put Jacob on hold because he probably didn't realize um, he, maybe he's listening to me on delay. Uh, I'm happy to talk to him. I'll come back to him here in a minute. Uh, may let Charlie check in on him, make sure he's still around on the phone. Um, the governor, again, coming up at, at 11 o'clock. Other stuff in the news that we need to get to is the Joe Biden situation and also the state legislative situation. And I'll wait a bit to get to that. I want to play a little more of Anthony Fauci so that you you have a clear mind of what's going on here. Original guidelines for whether you could get a test were somewhat restrictive. The FDA has now removed those restrictions. You know, it was part of the thing was, well, you have to have been either in contact with someone or, or very closely geographically. Coronavirus. Uh, it doesn't matter where you are or who you are, you could get a test. No, that's Anthony Fauci, and he's making clear. We, we originally screwed up the testing in this country. We've gotten the, and that was the government. Now, we got the private sector involved, and the private sector is actually turning things around for us, and, and the private sector is actually improving the situation, which is, which is a good thing. The private sector is, the Mayo Clinic this morning is announcing that it has come up with a test. It is, it is um, able to manufacture and get out into the wild, uh, the test for coronavirus. The delays are coming down. And that's part of the issue with the number in this country. Uh, when you hear the number, the, the total number as of right now this morning is 1,701 people in the United States. 40 people have died, 31 in Washington State, 4 in California, 2 in Florida, 1 here in Georgia, 1 in New Jersey, and 1 in South Dakota. The one here in Georgia is 67 years old. Uh, the recovery, the confirmed recovery rate has gone up from 8 to 12. It was holding steady at 8 for a while. It's gone up to 12. One of the reasons that we're not seeing so many people rapidly recover in this country is the same reason we're not seeing the number of confirmed cases rapidly increase. We don't have enough tests. And we're, 
the government has waived regulations to fire up the private sector to allow them to manufacture the tests. And as more and more people get tested, we know we're going to see an increase in the virus coming in. Um, and the reason we haven't seen such a big spike is because of the lack of ability to test. I, I've mentioned this before, but there are some hot spots around the country right now. California has 237 confirmed cases. Washington State has 457. New York has 328. And Boston has 108. New Jersey has 29. Georgia has 31. Florida has 35. Uh, Texas has 28. And Illinois has 32. The big ones are New York, Boston, Los Angeles, and Seattle. Uh, And we're, we're starting to see in San Francisco, we're starting to see some concerns there. But we're seeing large spikes in people coming into hospitals with the flu. And those large spikes of people coming in with the flu, we know it's not the flu. We just don't actually have any way to uh, slow down the situation for them uh, and get them tested. So we're just presuming it's them. We can't confirm it. Hopefully we'll be able to. Let's see. Jacob, are, are you back there? I wanted to try you again before I let you go. I apologize. So I went to a bad spot. No, nope, not a problem. A quick question. First, first of all, thank you for everything you're doing for everybody to enlighten us. And I want to appreciate the governor for his leadership with through this. But my question will be, as this plays through and as this goes through and, if, you know, it will go through, do you see our culture changing from having to be into an office every day to where, you know, that job that may not be necessarily an office job done from home to avoid events like this? I work in law enforcement, so we don't get the chance to get out of it. But I do want to remind everybody, just be diligent, be patient, and this will have, this will pass. And I appreciate your time. Yeah, J- Jacob, that's such a great question. Thank you for that. I, I do think we're probably going to see this because a lot of companies have resisted telecommuting for a while. And listen, th- there are some who can. And, and by the way, please be charitable to those who can't. Uh, there are restaurants who can't. Uh, there are, I mean, you're, you you can't telecommute if you work, if you're a chef or you're a waiter. You can't telecommute if, if uh, like you, Jacob, you're in law enforcement, you can't telecommute. Um, it, well, in some cases you can, but mostly you can't. Uh, there are a lot of jobs where people are not going to be able to telecommute, and there are a lot of people who work by the hour, and this is part of the, the, the problem, and I want to get into this a little bit when we come back, um, that we've got to come up with some governmental solutions here for people who can't get into their office and they're paid by the hour. What do we do with them? What about their mortgage? What about their rent? What about evictions? Things like that. Uh, we, we do need to be careful there. Um, it, but by and large, yeah, I think globally we're going to start seeing more and more people telecommuting. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you, so I'm in my office today. I typically do my show um, from a studio down, a remote studio in Macon. I'm actually in Atlanta today at my home office where we beam everything over to WGAU in Athens, and then they ship it out to the world uh, through the Georgia News Network system, iHeart Satellites. It's kind of fancy. Um, but nonetheless, uh, and, and my office wants me to, to scram, to get out of town, to not come back, to, to work remotely, to to never see them again until this is over. Um, my wife's oncologist, so, and, and my wife would very much prefer me to as well uh, not be here, to be home in my bunker. And that that's I, these are things I got to think about. These are things everybody else has to think about. How do you keep your family safe right now? The best thing you can do to keep your family safe, particularly your loved ones, is one, 
Don't go hanging out with the old folks in your family right now. Don't, don't be having gatherings of family. Call them, tell them you love them, FaceTime, Skype, whatever, uh, but but have them avoid large crowds, uh, have them avoid you, and you avoid large crowds. It is. It really is amazing that that my I'm an introvert. Believe it or not, listen. I can talk to millions of you people out there, but it's just right now. It's me and Jim in the studio. It, it's nobody else. I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, but man, large crowds avoid them like the plague. Be an introvert. Stay home. Uh, don't have a large crowd, and you'll. I'm sure you'll be fine. And more importantly, you'll be making sure everybody else is as well. So, you know, one of the, the practical concerns in this year, 2020, I, I did see somebody yesterday saying maybe we can unplug 2020 and plug it back in and see if it starts working again. <laughs> well, one of the real practical concerns is so I, I'm on my uh, uh, ushering at church this month. March is the month I'm supposed to usher. And a, a, every single person uh, that that I am in contact with who is a professional in this stuff is telling me, given my wife's situation, uh, frankly, and my own situation, I've still got clots in my lungs, that uh, we need to be avoiding all social space, including church. And I think I'm going to have to bail on um, ushering the rest of the month and, and probably not going to church, watching it online uh, or getting the podcast because it, it's one of those random situations. And again, it, it's my my family situation, I realize a lot of you are thinking this is overblown. My family situation is I have I've got lung damage and my wife has lung cancer, which actually puts us in prime groups of people who really need to be extra precautious. Um, <laughs> a buddy of mine says you're just looking for an excuse out of usher. You know, it's actually my, my one interaction with people. I, I realize. So I, I'm now on uh, the, this show is now on WMAC in Macon. And where I live, and it it's actually makes me feel good to be ushering in church and people come up on Sundays and they're listening. Like, I really do have people listening to me. Uh, they come up in Publix, but they come up in church as well. But, yeah, avoiding everyone like the plague is is uh, kind of one of the key things to avoid getting this. So my office is throwing me out from Atlanta this afternoon and telling me not to come back. So I'm not fired. I just got to work from home. Uh, again, happy to take your questions. Uh, 877-973-7425. Uh, speaking of churches, real quick, I, I mentioned this a little bit yesterday, but if you're in a church, there are a lot of churches that are going to meet. In fact, uh, Andy Stanley's church, North Point, they're shutting down all their campus locations. Uh, because they're concerned about, given the, the large sizes, that they, they fit in demographically uh, the situation. Those of you who know Mark Dever of uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church, uh, one of the most noted uh, Southern Baptists in the nation, he's shutting down his church. Al Muller uh, from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, they're closing up shop. Uh, this should be a sign that people are having to take this seriously for a variety of reasons. To, to stop the spread of this. And so there are a lot of churches that are thinking we may need to close up shop or reduce attendance or do things like that. And it, it, what your church needs to be mindful of, please, you're in not just church, your temple, your synagogue, your mosque, you got a lot of congregants who you need to check up on. Make sure you know who's in your church. Make sure you know who's a member. you got a lot of people who don't actually come to church on Sunday, but they're on the rolls. This is probably going to be a great opportunity to reconnect with those people and make sure they know uh, that while the doors to the church are closed, the church is not closed, that the church will be delivering meals as needed. The church will be checking on people as needed. The church will be making sure you're safe. And this is a great obligation for faith communities to take care of their own so the government does not have to take care of them. Uh, you practice what you preach. You want small government. Well, then you got to step up, and that includes your church stepping up, your temple stepping up, your mosque and synagogue stepping up. 
so please consider that. Uh, please consider a, a meal brigade, not just for the, the people in need who've had babies or surgeries, but people who are homebound because they've got this virus. Start thinking about how can you educate your congregants on staying healthy and avoiding contamination and proper sanitation and how you can go knock on a door and talk through the door and leave a meal and the person can get it after you're gone to avoid yourself getting getting the virus and spreading it. But step up and take care of your own. Uh, scripturally, seek the welfare of the cities in which you live. Pray for them. There you'll find your welfare. Seek the welfare of your local community. Once you've done this with your congregants, start thinking about how you can help other nonprofits in your community. Show people what loving your neighbor actually means. It means more than showing up on Sunday and glad-handing with people in church. It means actually engaging with your community, not just the people in your church, but the community as a whole. Uh, Figure out how you can do that as a congregation. These are things you really need to be thinking about because what we're seeing across the country is the government has been screwing up the situation, frankly. The government is now stepping up to be very aggressive in this, and uh, they haven't been getting everything right And you should be caring for your congregation and your community in ways the government's not because, frankly, there are going to be people you can't reach out to, you don't have the bandwidth to reach out to, and the government can reach out to those people, and the government won't have to reach out to your people if you're doing your job of not just nourishing the soul on a Sunday morning but actually nourishing the body and and taking care of the person. It's a great time to reconnect. One more thing. Remember, please. That you're going to have people, and and my wife and I are in this camp, they're not going to ask for your help. They are flat out not going to ask for your help. They're not going to ask for your help. You can say it's a prideful thing. You can say, really, they don't want to be a bother to you. They can take care of themselves. Now is a great time to engage those people and give them no choice, that you're taking care of them whether they like it or not, uh, and they'll appreciate it. And I can say that as someone who's in that camp. Uh, You you force them on the issue even though they don't want it. Uh, Make sure they know they're going to get help too and that they're not a burden because they're part of your community. And if you can engage at that level, I think you'll be doing yourself some long-term good, particularly as people fall out of the habit of going to church over the next few weeks because they can't. What a way to stay engaged with your church community by making sure they know you're loved, they're loved, and and you're engaged with them. Um, these are things you got to think about. Now, coming up, what's happening around the country? I've been focused on Georgia. The governor's going to come talk to me about 11 o'clock. We got Cal Thomas stopping by at the bottom of the next hour to talk about his new book. Uh, but what else is happening out there? The state legislature is shutting down. I hadn't seen this happen. Uh, the state legislature in Georgia has decided they've had crossover day and now they're going home. I'm going to try not to cry. Y'all, I just got sad news. It's it's breaking news here. It's... They've postponed the Masters. That's I, I, I got tickets for the first time. I was going to go on the Thursday. A buddy of mine, his family gets tickets. He held one out for me. I should say it's canceled. It's postponed. Here, here's a, this just out from uh, the chairman, Chairman Ridley. Respecting the health and well-being of everyone associated with these events and the citizens of the Augusta community, the 2020 Masters Tournament, the Augusta National Women's Amateur, and the Drive – chip and putt national finals have been postponed there is no uh date set for the masters uh to be resumed it is postponed until a later date um well yeah as a as a buddy of mine on twitter says 2020 can suck it <laughs> just oh oh boo well i understand it uh, i i i understand uh and uh, yeah, the the National Cherry Blossom Festival in Washington D.C. has just been canceled as well. 
Uh, no cherry blossom festival there. I'm not sure about the one in Macon. Uh, I assume they'll be canceling the one in Macon, but I don't know for sure. Um, they probably should, all things being equal, given the way the virus is spreading in the state. Uh, all right, and let me give you the update and say, by the way, Governor Kemp is going to join me uh, at the top of the next hour. Uh, Cal Thomas, the, the columnist, uh, the, the author, he's going to join me at the bottom of this hour. Uh, Dublin, Georgia, is suspending its St. Patrick's Day uh, festivities. The Savannah St. Patrick's Day parade is now canceled. The Atlanta St. Patrick's Day is ne- parade is now canceled. Uh, the Cherry Blossom Festival in Macon uh, looks like they're going to make an announcement as to what they're going to do here very shortly. Uh, We're up now to 42 confirmed cases uh, of the coronavirus here in Georgia. And uh, we got a lot of uh, schools in the metro Atlanta area that are closing. A lot of schools are being urged statewide to close. Uh, The University System of Georgia is closing all of their campuses. Um, Wesleyan College in Macon is closing its campus uh, you've got the Forsythia Festival in Monroe County has been suspended. Uh, the, let's see, the uh, the Carl Vinson Medical Center in Dublin is limiting access. Uh, Navicent Health in Middle Georgia is uh, limiting access to visitors now, it appears. March Madness is canceled for the first time since World War II. The Major League Baseball season has stopped spring training and is going to delay the start of the, the regular season. Uh, the Atlanta Motor Speedway race is going to go on this summer, but fans will not be allowed to attend. And uh, Vine, for those of you who know Middle Georgia, Vine Eagle is a huge uh, Little League baseball group in Middle Georgia, and it is uh, suspending uh, opening ceremonies and practices until at least April 6th. Um, so it, it, it's a big deal. Governor Kemp is urging people not to, the elderly in particular, he's urging them not to go to church. We'll talk about that. Uh, he's telling school leaders he's not going to shut them down, but he's going to encourage them to shut down. Uh, frankly, I wish that uh, all schools in the state would shut down. And again, if you're just tuning in, if you haven't heard, broken record time. The issue here is not you getting uh, deathly ill and dying from this virus. Uh, the issue is that we don't have hospital capacity right now, and we know statistically now 10% of people who get this virus are going to need hospital capacity. And if we can't get people to stop meeting and this virus continues to spread at the rate that it's spreading, uh, we can project out. And we've been highly accurate in the projections. The CDC has released projections on a daily basis of where we'll be in a week, and they've been, I mean, on the money uh, almost to the exact number every time. And they know if they can't get people in the next two and a half weeks to just shut down life, essentially, and stop communing with each other, that we're going to run out of hospital space for the people who will need it. And that's the concern. That's the panic, if you will. And I hate to use the word panic. That's just that's the concern. And they're right to be concerned about it uh, because of hospital space. Again, if 10 percent of people are going to need this, and, and by the way, that 10 percent is not just the elderly. That's 10 percent. In in France, in Germany now, we've got a lot of real case real case studies outside of China we can see that 10 percent is, is 30 and up. It's, it's not 60 and up. Uh, there are 30-year-olds who are being intubated in Europe, and don't say it's it's the hospital suck. No, it's it's the viral situation is causing the problem. The um, 30 and up, there are people who are being intubated. There are people who are having to be put on the, the blood processing systems, the blood reoxygenation systems. Uh, it is not just a disease of the elderly. That is a mythology, and I'm afraid I may have played a part of that, but because it's true that it impacts the elderly the worst – 
Uh, but there are perfectly healthy people who are not immunocompromised who are getting this, who are having a hard time. I, I'm happy to answer any of your questions. I do want to move on to other stuff. I did want to reset for you where we are in the state, though. Uh, the phone number, if you got any questions, 877-973-7425. One of the things, though, that, that I want to talk about here is this dynamic. I, I want to play this clip from Joe Biden. Joe Biden is is trying to look presidential. Uh, I, I think we need to acknowledge, however sensitive it is for us to acknowledge it, the president actually didn't do himself any favors two nights ago in his speech. Now, the the stock market, however, thank goodness, is recovering right now. The Dow is up 623 points. The NASDAQ up 254 points. The S&P up 85 points. The New York Stock Exchange up 300 points. That's good. But uh, so Joe Biden is trying to make himself sound leaderly. Uh, Bernie Sanders as well is out there trying to do stuff. Let me play this. This is a little bit of extended audio, but it's worth hearing from Joe Biden. There's a point that needs to be made, but you got to hear this to understand it. The core principle is simple. Public health professionals must be the ones making our public health decisions and communicating with the American people. Public health professionals. It would be a step toward reclaiming public trust and confidence in the United States government as well, toward stopping the fear and chaos that can overtake communities faster than this pandemic can overtake them. And it's critical to mounting an effective national response that will save lives protect our frontline health workers, slow the spread of the virus. First, anyone, anyone who needs to be tested based on medical guidance should be tested at no charge, at no charge. The administration's failure on testing is colossal, and it's a failure of planning, leadership, and execution. The White House should measure and report each day, each and every day, how many tests have been ordered, how many tests have been completed, and how many have tested positive. By next week, the number of tests should be in the millions, not the thousands. We should make every person in a nursing home available for testing. Every senior center or vulnerable population has to have easy access to the test. And we should establish hundreds of mobile testing sites, at least 10 per state, and drive through testing centers I'm sorry, I, I I can't I can't listen to any more of that. Um, it's it's infuriating. He goes on to say that he doesn't believe the White House is giving giving accurate data, uh, and this is all after he said that we got to stop politicizing this. He attacks the Trump administration. By the way, one of the things here is you know the president again, uh, Anthony Fauci. I played the audio earlier. He says the shutting down the the flights to China fundamentally did help this country. At the time, you will recall, world health experts were blasting the Trump administration for shutting down uh, travel with China, and the media was blasting the president, saying this was really just him and Stephen Miller trying to to undermine international global trade, blah, 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 blah. Turns out now the, the, the very same health officials who were saying this wasn't prudent back then are saying, yeah, actually, this bought us time. The underlying problem here is not President Trump. The underlying problem here is a government bureaucracy. And the president can't control the government bureaucracy. To the extent there are testing problems and testing delays, that has nothing to do with President Trump. And we should be intellectually honest about it. In the same way, he doesn't have a lot to do with the markets. He doesn't have a lot to do with that. 
it is intellectually dishonest to attack the president on this stuff. And what the president has not done himself any favors. That speech the other night, uh, his his, his con- consistent refrain to downplay the severity of this, of what we're looking at as a country, I do think is a problem. It doesn't help him that the vice president comes out uh, and uh, contradicts him on a lot of the stuff. I mean, that, that's one of the underlying issues here. But the reason I do this is let's look at the raw politics of this just a minute. For three years, Democrats have said this president is a dictator. For three years, they have said this president is an authoritarian. For three years, they've said we're going to impeach the blankety blank uh, to, to stop the rise of this. And and in the last several weeks, they've said, oh, impeachment's over. This man's a monarch. This man's a king. And now what are they doing? They're out there in the fetal position crying, please, please, Papa Trump, save us. Please, Papa Trump, Papa Trump, Papa Trump. We we, we got a Smurfy problem. We need, we need Smurfy answers from the from the Smurf house. I mean, that 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 is essentially what the Democrats are doing. I mean, they, they want Papa Trump to save them. I mean, you've got Democratic governors out there blasting the president for not behaving like a dictator after three years of telling us that he's a dictator. Which is it, people? I mean, I, I realize the coronavirus gives you um, it gives you a dry cough and a fever. I didn't realize it it made you go bat poop crazy too. It it comes from bats, and apparently you behave as nuttyism. It's just it's it's crazy to watch these people out there saying that. Um, it, it just, it, I mean, which is it? And it's very clear that they, they don't believe the rhetoric on this, and they're trying to find every angle to blame the president. When you go for four years saying Donald Trump's an authoritarian dictator and now want him to be an authoritarian dictator, uh, kind of gives the game away that all of this person. And by the way, that's why people don't treat this seriously. I, I'm aggravated with people. I, I, I Literally yesterday, I, I guys, I, I did a lot of radio yesterday. And I was beaten up the entire day on my evening show. I got a bunch of phone calls from people who were livid at me because they had heard people on TV and radio say this is just the common cold. It's no big deal. And it's a media plot to get the president. And it's not that bad. And here I am saying, actually, it is bad. We do have to take it serious. It's not a crisis. We don't need to panic. But it's very serious. It's worse than the cold. It's spreading rapidly. we got to do something to contain it. And here's why. Here's the facts. Here's the And they were livid with me for disagreeing with other people on radio. And I, I really, it's like, you know, back in 2016, I had the three guys show up at my house to threaten me because I wasn't supporting the president in 2016. I am now. In 2016, I didn't. And and they showed up to threaten me. And, and people are like, well, I don't believe you because you didn't call the cops on them. You didn't file a police report, so it must not have happened. You're making it up. Like, oh, no, it happened. But, but I totally understand why they were mad at me. I wasn't going to file a police report on three guys. I, I didn't feel like I was going to be bodily harmed. They just wanted to get me fired and ruin my life. But I totally got why they were angry, and I totally get why there are so many people who are mad at me for saying this is something because they see the media every day turning this into a political issue, and so they hear anything like that as, a, as an attack on the president, and it is not meant to be in, in this case. Uh, but it, more and more people have a hard time distinguishing this because the media has done such a terrible job. I mean, you can't listen to this stuff without acknowledging the fact that the media keeps screwing it up and turning it into a partisan diatribe against the president. By the way, what exactly is the president doing? He's not the guy out there manufacturing the tests. He's not the guy out there distributing the tests. The president is out there saying, get as many out there as possible. They're beating me up. Get get as many tests out there as possible. And he's like, you're not doing enough of this, Mr. President. You need to command and control society. It's like Bernie Sanders. L- listen to this commie come out. 
So while we work to pass a Medicare for all single payer system, the United States government today must make it clear that in the midst of this emergency, everyone in our country, regardless of income or where they live, must be able to get all of the health care they need without cost. Obviously, when a vaccine or other effective treatment is developed, it must be free of charge. We cannot live in a nation where if you have the money, you get the treatment you need to survive, but if you're working class or poor, you get to the end of the line. Bernie Sanders has never met a profit he didn't like. Why can't the companies that develop this vaccine economically profit from the vaccine as an incentive to keep making it and keep exploring? Sanders does not fundamentally get that. He's basically it's either free or you're price gouging. There's no middle ground for him. It is it's black and white for him. And and that will cause more of a health care crisis than anything else. If the government tells industry, you must make this for us and you may not uh, make a profit off of it. Guess what? These companies aren't actually going to do. They're not actually going to make it. They have a financial incentive to make it. By the way, this is why there's no grand conspiracy. This virus is not being hyped up to to undermine the president. Certainly there are people who are using it to undermine the president. The virus itself and its spread and the concern is not what's undermining the president. To believe that, you've got to believe that Ireland, Belgium, Italy, Denmark uh, are conspiring with the American media, the Disney, the rest of the Fortune 500, the NCAA, the Masters, uh, the Major League Soccer, Major League Baseball, and the like uh, to undermine this president economically. Uh, and that's not the case. Uh, they're doing it because there's a severe concern about spread and not being enough hospital beds. It has nothing to do with the president's reelection. But yes, absolutely, we should all acknowledge and we should all be honest. And the media is not being honest and the media is not being reflective. But we should be that, yes, there are members of the media who are using this to try to 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 beat up the president, to beat him in November. And, and we shouldn't dismiss that either. Uh, just as there is a middle ground on the issue of the virus— there is a middle ground on the issue of the media behavior, and it's not an all-or-nothing situation. Is there a situation here we need to be prepared for? Yes. Is the media trying to use it as a political weapon against the president? Man, the president of Brazil the other day was saying the coronavirus is overblown. It's not all the media is making it out to be. Uh, went on a trip to Miami and said, quote, during the past year, obviously, we've had moments of crisis. A lot of that is fantasy and coronavirus, which is not uh, what the mainstream media makes it out to be. Uh, The major daily Rio de Janeiro newspaper is reporting today that he has tested positive for the virus. Kind of like the NBA uh, player the other day for the Jazz who uh, laughed about it and rubbed all over the microphones and then not only got infected, but passed it off to teammates. Yikes. Uh, Greg and Marietta, going to go to you next. Welcome. Good morning, Eric. Uh, just got off a plane yesterday and now no traveling for the next month for work. <laughs> Shelter in place. Shelter in place. But, uh, you know, we're all going to be looking at each other in the next few weeks thinking everybody else has the coronavirus because – it's that spring time of year. <laughs> okay, can I tell you? Seasonal allergies. I, I, so, so now that I'm here and they can't throw me out of the studio, I literally came in this morning and I, I've got a, a cough and a sore throat, 
And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I've got the virus. I'm like, wait a second. I've been at home for four days with no contact with a human being unless it's like an immaculate conception of the coronavirus. It's impossible. Oh, wait, this is allergies. It's my head's filled with snot. And basically (laughs) – Welcome to pollen season. Oh, yeah. It is is hitting me earlier than normal this year. It is, and it's uh, it's it's going to cause everybody to take a take a second breath and and think about it. Right, so it's, which is uh, another reason to just stay time. inside and watch Netflix. <laughs> there you go. There yeah, you go. Greg, thanks Keep very up. much for for the phone call, uh, Greg and Marietta. Uh, I, I think I I just cut you off there, Greg. I'm I'm sorry, didn't mean to, but you know he's right. Um, so seriously, the, the last couple of days during the day, I, I start getting getting congestion. Like, oh gosh. Uh, but here's here's basically it. It, it, and and actually that's a great call to to jump off on this point here. Um, for four day, we now know originally they said if if you didn't have fever, you weren't contagious. We now know that you're contagious for about four days before the fever sets in. Uh, but the big symptom here is fever, and then everything else follows from the fever. You may get nothing beyond the fever. Uh, you may just get the fever, um, but you're going to get a dry cough at first. Uh, eventually, there will be a lot of lung gunk. Uh, but if you're if you essentially if if you don't have fever and you've got congestion, you're fine. Uh, if you've got fever and then you get the congestion, then you need to be concerned. But as we're in seasonal allergy season, you're not going to get all the all the the lung gunk before you get the fever. That comes after the fever. The fever is the first symptom. Uh, you are contagious for four days before the fever comes, we now know. Uh, but for those of you who do suffer from allergies uh, as well, like, I, I mean, I can tell I, I am I'm, I'm having, having allergies right now. And, and I've been a little bit troubled until I start thinking, wait a second, I haven't been anywhere where it's been possible for me to even get this. Uh, so I, I can't be. Uh, but what you need to think about is if you've got nasal congestion, that's not a symptom of the virus. If you've got snot sliding down the back of your throat like I do this morning, that's allergies. It's stuff at the bottom of your lungs that you're coughing up, uh, and that's not going to happen at first. What's going to happen is you get a fever, and then you begin to get a dry cough where there's there's no gunk coming up. Um, after, after the dry cough comes, then you start feeling like you've got fluid in your lungs, and that's when you need to be concerned. If, if you get to the point where you have fluid in your lungs, you fundamentally need medical attention because this virus turns very quickly into a pneumonia that will cause lasting lung damage, uh, even among healthy people. So, so be mindful of that. But your first symptom is going to be fever, and it's going to come a couple of days after you've already got the infection. Um, and that that's what makes this so much more deadly than the flu. You know, the, the flu can spread before you have visible symptoms uh, for a couple of days. This spreads a little bit longer than the flu and lasts in the wild a little longer than the flu. And, and we, by the way, that's new information. On March 3rd, the World Health Organization said that the flu is more contagious and that this virus doesn't last as long in the wild as the flu. We now know by taking China and Iran out of the equation and just looking at Western data that it actually uh, is more contagious than the flu and lasts longer in the wild than the flu. That's updated information we hadn't had before. So keep yourselves informed, keep yourself safe. And yeah, remember, if it's in your nose and sliding down your throat, that's pollen. It has nothing to do with the coronavirus. And we're about to get a lot of pollen in the state of Georgia. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I got Cal Thomas coming up here in a minute, waiting for for Cal to be on the phone with me uh, to talk about his new book. Um, 
It is uh, the name of the book from, and you you guys know who Cal Thomas is, don't you? He's a syndicated columnist. He is a um, he is a he's on Fox News, and he's he's just. I mean, I've I've grew up listening to the guy. He's just a, he's a great guy, and his book is called America's Expiration Date. Uh, if you want to link to it, it, you know, I always use the keyword data, uh, D-A-T-A. You text it to 33777, and you'll be able to get it. Uh, the synopsis of it is uh, what's wrong with America today. Is it possible America could crumble and our democracy fail? Questions like these plague Americans and cause us to be anxious about the future of the land that we love. Um, so this is something that he's explored, and there are a lot of people exploring it, but, you know, he's got a, a level of wisdom, I think, in these sorts of things that a lot don't. The subtitle here, The Fall of Empires and Superpowers and the Future of the United States. Um, but we're we're trying to—we're supposed to call him. He's not calling us, and we're having a little trouble getting a hold of him. So I do want to move on to other stuff until we get him, and we are happy to take your phone calls as well, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Remember, by the way, Governor Kemp uh, will be joining me at the top of the hour. Uh, the governor had a very long uh, press conference yesterday. It was about an hour-long press conference yesterday. Uh, over the issue of um, the the situation in um, Georgia and what they were going to be doing with school systems in Georgia. And he wants schools to shut down. He's not actually ordering schools to shut down at this moment. He wants them to do it if they think they need to. He's really urging the metro area schools to shut down. It appears that they are. The University System of Georgia shutting down, uh, major sporting events shutting down. The Masters, if you're just tuning in, the Masters is being postponed. Um, man, you know, the Braves are supposed to start in two weeks. And the Braves are, are we're not going to see the Braves start up. As an aside here, by the way, can, can I be real selfish for just a minute uh, while we're waiting for Cal to get on the phone? Um you know, radio and live TV, a lot of people are listening to podcasts and the like these days, and you can't get the timely information. This situation is really changing on an hourly basis. And the, between the stock market changing and the the viral numbers changing and the information we have about the virus changing, uh, the testing kit numbers changing, all that stuff, uh, constantly changing. There, there's no way you can keep up with all of it if you're listening on demand, which is fine. If you got to listen on demand, look, I got a podcast as well, and I, I'd love for people to subscribe to the podcast. In fact, my my thinking is now, if we can get more people to subscribe to the podcast, I want to do special stuff on the podcast beyond just repackaging the radio show. But uh, live local information is actually useful. Now, for example, the Dow Jones right now, it is 1039 on the nose right now this Friday morning. The Dow is up 730 points. NASDAQ is up 281 points. The S&P 500 is up 92 points. And the New York Stock Exchange is up 480 points, which is good. There is a rally in the market today, and it is very good. Um, Now, 
Uh, I want to to play you some more audio that is out there from the vice president of the United States regarding what's going on out there. All of the leadership of, of, of course, health insurance industries, nursing homes, bankers yesterday. But we yeah. brought in those commercial labs like like Quest and LabCorp that are already on their websites, already producing more tests for Americans. Yeah. And the good news, as the president said last night, is is uh, is any American who feels that they they may have been exposed to the coronavirus or has symptoms uh, can can know that because of the president's leadership, uh, all of our health insurance companies have waived copays on testing, on testing, have agreed to extend coverage for treatment, and we've made sure that Medicaid and Medicare uh, recipients in this country uh, have the exact same benefit okay. the financials yeah. a person's financial situation should not be a barrier to being tested nor should the risk of losing your job exactly uh, the vice president showing fantastic leadership here he he's just the vice president's a good man uh and i hope he becomes the front man for the situation now i i i got a treat for you i'm i'm excited to have him because i'm a huge fan and i'm gonna try not to go in fanboy mode i have joining me to talk about his new book uh the columnist uh, the commentator the great conservative cal thomas how are you oh you're talking about me i uh, thought you were introducing somebody else Fine, Eric. <laughs> i'm so delighted to get to, to talk to you this morning well, uh, thank you thank you so much for doing you know i so my first question out of the gate is how did you become a conservative graduating from american university Back then, it was a little better. Uh, uh, most of my teachers were older, and they uh, had come through the World War II generation like my parents did and held on to certain values and virtues. So uh, there, there wasn't a lot of the stuff at AU that is going on today at many of our universities, including that one. But I think mostly it was trial and error. A friend of mine uh, gave me uh, Barry Goldwater's book, Conscience of a Conservative, when I was, uh, I think, 16 years old, and I read it and devoured it. And my parents were uh, staunch Republicans, and I grew up in a conservative neighborhood. Plus, uh, you know, trial and error later, I kind of flirted with liberalism because when I started with NBC News as a copy boy, uh, you know, most of the reporters inclined toward liberal, but they they didn't have the kind of biases in their stories that you see today. And uh, I just saw that liberalism uh, was all about feeling good and not actually accomplishing anything. And uh, that was kind of a, uh, you know, a, a major turning point in my own life. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that because my parents actually were they were conservatives. In fact, I remember them introducing me to you. Uh, we uh. I, I grew up in Dubai uh, in the 1980s, and and of course uh, it was the American military that kept us safe during the Iran Iraq War. Right. And they were Democrats, but but became Republican, staunchly Republican. And parents and family and, and values sure do matter. And, and I guess that that's a good segue into the the book you've written, America's Expiration Date, because I, I hear these all the time, particularly even now I, I'm in, in seminary at Reformed Theological Seminary uh, mm. working on my MDiv and, and going through church history and these topics come up about the mirroring rise of Christian persecution and the rise of empires and the fall of nations and and what goes on and and so this is in your wheelhouse here and, and perfect in light of what's going on out there with people in panic over the virus. Uh, well there's a pattern to history and the book uh, America's Expiration Date was uh, uh, inspired by an essay by the late British diplomat Sir John Glubb, who studied 3,000 years of human history and found that all of these empires and great nations that collapsed 
followed a similar pattern. The average age was 250 years. Now, there were a few exceptions, like Rome, for example, but uh, even Rome followed the same pattern eventually. And they go through these economic and geopolitical stages, and the last stage before they collapsed, Sir John found, was decadence, which he described as massive national debt, we're $23 trillion in debt and counting, and neither party seems willing to address it. Uncontrolled immigration without assimilation. We are more tribal than we've ever been with hyphenated uh, descriptions of who we are now, African-American, Asian-American, Hispanic-American, not just American anymore. And then a loss of a shared moral sense. Anything seems to be going in our culture, any relationship, any pattern of speech, uh, any form of behavior. And then the Pew Research Center, I know you know, uh, took a survey of millennials not long ago and asked them about their religious preference, and 20% said none. And that was also a, uh, a contributor to the decline of these uh, empires and great nations. And I contend in the book, while I'm not a prophet, that we are on the same path. Ronald Reagan uh, used to say we're only one generation away from losing it all. These values and virtues have to be renewed by every generation or they'll be lost. Well, yeah. And along the way, I, I guess one of the things I, I guess that keeps cropping up in the conversations I have with people is the collapse of the two-parent nuclear household in this country yes. and seeing the rates of poverty and, and illiteracy and everything almost corresponding directly to the, the breakup of families. Right. Well, there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago about this, and uh, I, I thought it was fascinating because I've held this view for some time, and it was nice to see it uh, reaffirmed that a lot of younger people who are uh, children of divorce, parents who have uh, broken up uh, a parent or both who have had affairs and the rest, don't want to get married because they've seen the pain and the cost not only financially, but uh, spiritually and emotionally, of uh, divorce on them and on their parents. And so they just live together. And that, too, is a, is a problem for our culture. You know, I remember something Barbara Bush said years ago, and I've often repeated it, and she once thanked me for keeping it alive, though I thought it was powerful. She said, men and women, if you have children, they must come first. Our success as a nation, your success as a family, depends less on what happens in the White House and more on what happens in your house. I thought that was profound. Amen to that. Yes, yes, indeed. So when you look at this, what can be done to try to stave that off? Is there anything that can be done? Yeah, there's lots that can be done. A couple of things uh, to start off with. I mentioned in the book, we've got to get our kids out of these re-education camps. Remember, the, the communists had re-education camps. Well, we have something similar. We put them in these schools and universities that undermine their faith, undermine the values, uh, reteach American history. I know you know that the New York Times has got this, uh, what is it, 1619 or whatever the year is, project uh, that, that is, is creeping into public schools all over the country. Uh, everybody who is white is supposed to be uh, stained forever uh, with the blot of slavery. It never goes away. It colors everything else. And uh, nobody focuses on the success African-Americans have had in this country, uh, the two-parent African-American family. It's only on the poor. It's only on poverty. It's only on racism. It's only on discrimination. Now, when you focus and teach that, you're going to get more of it. But if you teach hope and overcoming, uh, I mean, you know, they have the song, We Shall Overcome, but I'm more interested in focusing on people who have overcome. Uh, Jack Kemp, the late congressman and HUD secretary, used to say conservatives measure success by how many people don't need government. Uh, liberals measure success by how many people are on some kind of government assistance. 
Oh, that's uh, that is such a good quote, man. I I got to meet him. I actually when he was running for vice president in '96, got yep. to drive in his motorcade. What a great guy he was. Yeah, he was indeed. Now, he was indeed. Uh, and but I'll tell you, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you know this or not. I just found out uh, the Atlanta Journal Constitution, which I know an awful lot of people like to uh, disparage who are conservative, <laughs> has just picked up my column, and uh, I'm thrilled by that. And I hope people that don't subscribe will sub- will subscribe to the paper and thank them for it. We need to take a more proactive stance, not only in journalism and, and in the media, but uh, instead of criticizing everything, and there's plenty to criticize, uh, you know, we need to be holding the other side accountable for their values and what they've done to the country, but support people with uh, who share our ideas, uh, who are out there actually trying to make a, a difference and penetrate the major media. Well, you know, I, I do have a bone to pick with you here. As I work for the parent company of the AJC and have a syndicated column, and they won't run mine, and I'm an employee, and, and they ran yours. <laughs> I don't blame them, though. I would rather read you than me anyway. Well, um, that's very kind. You know what Groucho Marx said? I wouldn't belong to a club that would have someone like me as a member. So, exactly. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> let, let me let me ask you, but before, I, I, I don't want to waste your time here. And, and, oh, I'm, I'm happy to talk to you. Well, I, I'm, I'm concerned about in this rise of secularism we see in the country and and where we're headed, uh, one of the things that stands out to me is a complete loss of the concept of grace within civic society anymore, that we bind people to the worst thing they've ever done on social media, we run them out of jobs, and there's never really any grace that I've screwed. And it's not a matter of forgiveness in my mind, it's just a matter of everybody screws up, we're all sinners, Uh, we've all done something Uh, wrong, give everybody a pass. Well, the there's several things. I mean, the media reinforce this. You know, one of the things that always amuses me is is these people are out for more and more gun control laws. And then you look at television and the movies and virtually every show has people shooting each other. Uh, we, we uh, you know, Lincoln said that the cause of the Civil War, the major cause of the Civil War, was we had forgotten God. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I quote him in the book, America's Expiration Date, I, he said, people always ask me, how was Soviet communism able to prevail for seven days in Russia? And he said, uh, it's easy to explain. We forgot God. Uh, Moses warned what happens when people forget God. Jesus warned. Uh, Paul, the writings of the New Testament. And I think, uh, you know, our God has become materialism. Uh, we, we worship things and not the Creator. And we see that in the results of abortion and same-sex marriage and all of these things that challenge the image of God in us. Now, there's no guarantee that any country will last forever. Uh, Isaiah says that uh, God regards all nations as uh, a drop in the bucket and less than nothing. But I do think we have experienced revivals in this country. The biggest one was in 1857, when 10,000 people a week were being converted to Christ in New York City alone. It had an effect on public drunkenness. It had an effect on crime and all these other social ills. But the way it began was not by human organization. It began with what the late J. Edward Orr wrote about in his book on the history of revivals in America, with a concert of prayer. And when people pray and seek to glorify God and not themselves, then God responds. And he's done it throughout Scripture and throughout history. And if America is to survive all of these uh, things that we have done that are an affront to him, then I think it's uh, going to take a concert of prayer to turn it around. I don't see the Republicans or Democrats doing it, and certainly nobody in Washington. And that's unfortunate, too, because I, I agree with you. It just seems like so many people now almost that they've dropped the ball on this. They don't care. They don't believe. And 
hopefully we'll be able to turn the corner. Um, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Cal Thomas. He's got a great new book out, America's Expiration Date. If you want to link to it, text the word DATA to 33777. I'll send you right back a link uh, so you can get his book. Uh, and Cal Thomas, I'm just delighted I got to talk to you this morning. Oh, Eric, that's so kind, and I wish you well, and uh, you know, keep washing your hands. I definitely. Thank you very much. Cal Thomas, uh, the columnist, this, uh, he's on radio, he's on TV, he's such a good guy. Uh, dearly, I'm, I'm trying not to be fanboy on him because I grew up. And also, you know, people now come up to me all the time. They're like, oh, I, I, my parents were listening to you when I was a kid, and now I'm in college. I don't want to make him feel old. Um, but he's, he's fantastic. The book is America's Expiration Date, The Fall of Empires and Superpowers and the Future of the United States. That's the full title. Uh, it has uh, come out in the last month, and you can text the word DATA to 33777. I will send you back a link so you can order it if you're interested. It is Eric Erickson here. Coming up at the top of the hour, Governor Brian Kemp is going to join me to talk about what's happening in Georgia. The Boston Marathon has just been postponed in addition to the Masters being postponed again. I'm gonna. I'm just going to keep repeating this. You're going to get tired of me repeating it. The problem's not that they think you're going to die, you're going to get this virus and die. The problem is that if they can't slow its spread right now, given its, its exponential rate of exposure and the fact that 10% of all people, regardless of age, will need hospitalization, we don't have enough beds in the country right now, hospital beds, for the people who require hospitalization. That's why they're trying to get people to stop meeting in crowds, because they need to slow the spread, not stop the spread, but slow the spread. Uh, that's the logic behind what's going on right now. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Bobby, I'm glad you called about this issue because it is not a coronavirus issue. <laughs> Welcome. Well, thank you. Appreciate it, Eric. Thank you so much. Sure. Yeah, I saw your uh, article in the Macon paper the other day about daylight savings time. Mm-hmm. And people don't understand how daylight savings time works. More energy is used during daylight savings time. Mm-hmm. Also, the sun is how time and the time zones were set up, mm-hmm. and that doesn't change when we run our clocks up an hour. When we run our clocks up an hour, that puts us an hour ahead of actual time, right. which means that 12 a.m. Monday morning is actually 11 p.m. Uh, Sunday night, mm-hmm. and that uh, 12 noon Monday is actually 11 o'clock a.m., Monday morning, and people don't realize that. They don't realize that when a person passes or is born, let's say, at 12.30 a.m. Tuesday morning, that it's actually 11.30 p.m. Monday night when they pass. On on the standard time, right. People don't realize that. Yeah, you know, I've got a real problem, and Bobby, thank you very much for that. I've got a real problem with government thinking it's got the power to change time. Now, constitutionally, the government does have the power to change time. That's actually in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. The government gets to set the standards for time, uh, but I wish we would pick one, whether it's – it's I kind of like waking up to the sun, uh, which is great, but then I'm really enjoying the, these afternoons getting out of the office because, you know, I do two shows, and I get in my studio in the middle of winter – and it's 6 o'clock, and it's pitch black outside, and I would much prefer it if there was a little more sunshine out there. I like these evenings. Although, can I admit, it's throwing me off now. I went to dinner last night, and it was like 7.30. And I was like, oh, wait, why is it 7.30? It's still light outside. I was like, oh, 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 it, it's, it's the time change. That's that's the issue. Uh, coming up at the in the next hour, Governor Kemp is going to join me. We're going to talk about the coronavirus situation. Uh, let him explain what's going on in the state, why he's advocating schools closing down. Also, our state legislature, they've had crossover day. Uh, they've decided on a budget 
and they're going to shut down now. They're not going to finish things up. They're going to take a break. And that's causing some problems for legislators because technically they're still in session. And under Georgia law, if the legislature's in session, you can't raise money as a legislator. So how are these legislators going to raise campaign dollars to run for re-election when they're in session and you're not allowed to raise money in session? The lieutenant governor was asked that question yesterday, and his response was, not my problem. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. And uh, we've been spending a lot of time on the virus because the news keeps changing. And I want to bring you up to speed and bring you up to date. And joining me to help me do that now, the governor of the great state of Georgia, Governor Kemp. Uh, welcome. How are you? Hey, doing great. Good morning, Eric. Uh, I've got to tell you, my, my wife actually informed me yesterday. I had to read this on air. She has a message for you. She heard your press conference yesterday, and, and she she in, insisted I read on air yesterday uh, to thank you for your press conference and your leadership and your level-headedness and willingness to be calm and, and steady and, and give people information. She she hadn't heard you give the press conference before, and she just really appreciated it. Well, tell her I appreciate that. I apologize. It was a long one yesterday. We just had a lot of information we had to get through, but we feel like that's important to let our citizens know what what's going on. Georgians are resourceful people, and uh, they just want to be be able to act to what the situation is. And we're trying to just tell them like it is. So it, it, tell us like it is. What, what, there there does seem to be a concern, and I've been trying to reiterate with people that there's there's not a public health fear that everyone's going to get this and fall over dead. But if we can't get the number of infections to slow their spread, we're going to run out of hospital capacity for the people who need it, it seems like. Well, Eric, you know, somebody asked me a question. I can't remember if it was last night or this morning. There's been so much going on, but what kind of kept me up at night? And that's the one issue that really concerns me. Um, that's what's so troubling about how this coronavirus affects the elderly population, the medically fragile, and, you know, having our healthcare systems overrun creates massive problems, whether it's Georgia or anywhere else. So that's one reason I announced the subcommittee on preparedness yesterday that General John King, who's our insurance commissioner, he's got 30 years of experience doing this in the National Guard literally around the world and around the country. Uh, and he's going to be the forward-looking guy looking at supplies, looking at facilities, looking at logistics networks to make sure that we're keeping the supply chain open and getting supplies where they need to go. Uh, so we, we've been working on that, but we're, we ramped that up yesterday, and uh, we're really digging in on that today. Now, let's talk about schools, because I know you mentioned yesterday uh, you weren't going to order schools to shut down, but it looks like a lot of the metro Atlanta schools got the message. And then there are parts of the state like the, the mid-state where we don't have any confirmed viruses yet, and even they're starting to think maybe they should go on and, and shut down just to play it safe. Well, it's really interesting. You know, make a, when you make a decision like that, you, you don't really know how it's going to play out. You're trying to deal with the information that we're getting. And I've been telling people, you know, this just isn't me sitting in the room deciding to do something. It's, you know, I'm consulting with the Department of Public Health, Dr. Toomey, a lot of other folks on the task force. We've been hearing from school superintendents all over the state. So, you know, we're taking a lot of information in before we're making decisions like that. You know, Governor DeWine in Ohio ordered all schools shut, but they had their first case five days before we did. Uh, so I feel like the action we took yesterday to give the locals the flexibility allowed those that need to close, which certainly we have more cases in the metro area than we do, as you just said, and, and for example, in middle Georgia, you don't have any. 
So it gives those superintendents in middle Georgia a little bit more time to plan for the what ifs. Uh, some of them are trying to get to spring break, so that gives them some more time or they don't lose as many days. And I just felt like at this point in time that our locals probably knew better than a, than a full mandate of just closing every single school in the state. And I feel like they've acted very appropriately. We've gotten great feedback from those saying, hey, thanks for, you know, for those that wanted to close, thanks for freeing us up to do that and, you know, not putting us where, you know, somebody would criticize us for doing that. But then the ones that wanted to stay open are appreciative of that and, and not having criticized, been being criticized for doing that. So I think right now we've struck the right balance. You know, if things continue to get worse in the next few days, then, then we'll address potentially looking at other options. And, and uh, But that'll be, that'll be based on the information we're getting from a lot of other people. Now, one of the big things we're seeing, of course, is the legislature is deciding to go home. Where, where does that leave the state of, of the budget and, and the, the finances for the state with the legislature leaving? Well, we're going to be fine. And, you know, the amended budget that passed is sitting on my desk. We're reviewing that now. I have to sign that in the next few days. Has has $100 million that would come out of the rainy day fund, if you will, and go into the governor's emergency fund. We can use that money if we need it. If we don't to, don't use it, it will fall back into into the reserve fund. But it does give us a little bit of a safety net. So I'm very appreciative of the leadership that we had with the legislature and their support on getting that done. So that gives us some breathing room. The 2021 budget or the big budget that would go into effect um, the 1st of July you know, we still have plenty of time to work on that budget and get it done. So I think we're in great shape right now during the suspension of the legislature. And look, Eric, everybody agree we need to get out of this building. Uh, this is probably one of the worst places in the world that you can be in a situation like this with uh, as easily as that virus spreads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then everybody in this room, you know, building lives in a different community across our state. If you end up getting a bunch of people infected here and they leave and go home and don't know it, you're just, you know, you're transporting that disease to other parts of our state or that virus, and that is not something that we want to run, wanted to run the risk of doing. Well, just I, I know you, you, your time is short. you got a lot of things to do. Let, let me ask you just one more here. What do you expect uh, in the next few days? Our epidemiologist community and the CDC has been actually pretty spot on with where they see this virus growing. In, in Georgia, what should we expect and what should we be thinking about? Well, I think we're going to continue to see cases go up. We've got a great new virtual website at the Department of Public Health where you can see where this is occurring. We now have the ability, when we get the the test results back, we can enter that into the system just almost instantaneously. So we'll be able to keep the public and the press updated uh, even better than we have been doing, which I feel like has been, been very well received from people. But we're, we got to do like you said, you know, we got to try to flatten this curve. You know, we can't run from the issue of it being here. It's going to continue to spread. What we need to do is mitigate how many people get this, especially our elderly population. That's why I've been just urging and begging and pleading with people. If you are an elderly citizen, if you're medically fragile, just stay home. Just get in a good, safe place. Have your, you know, healthier, younger family members get your groceries, get your medicines, you know, help you with your day-to-day outside-the-home activities. And uh, just don't risk it because we don't need a lot of elderly folks showing up in our health care facilities with acute care issues where they're going to be there for many, many days. Uh, and we aren't able to treat things like heart attacks and other other 
things of that nature, or at least can't do them like we normally do. Um, so that that's really my message to people is continue to use good common sense, washing your hands, you know, use social distancing and things of that nature just to stay safe and safe and let's help curb the, the trend that we're seeing. And that includes church this Sunday, I, I assume. Well, we certainly, you know, I made a point of making that known yesterday. Some of our great religious leaders around the state, uh, uh, I know Louis Giglio and others have have suspended services. They're going to go online. I think it was North Point or someone or yeah, the families did that as well. Uh, I, I very much appreciate that. I know our church, the uh, Episcopal Diocese here in Atlanta, has sent out information to try to cut down uh, and use really safe practices. I haven't heard about whether they're going to hold services or not. But I think if people if people have any doubt, just don't go. Pray at home. Watch it online. And certainly if you're sick, please do not go out to an event like that, a religious service like that. Do not go to your health care provider's waiting room or, for goodness sakes, don't go to the emergency room. Please call your physician or numbers where you can get guidance on how – uh, you can be dealt with where you don't further infect the public. Well, listen, I, and I know I, I'm being advised. I'm actually up in Atlanta today, and, and my wife's oncology team and everybody would like me to stay out of Atlanta, so I'm going to do my show and get home before the next show and bunker down to, to just protect my wife. And thank you very much for all you're doing. I, I really do appreciate it. You've been a voice of calm and reason in all of this. Have a great day and stay safe, Eric. Thank you. You too. That's Governor Brian Kemp. Uh, again, That that's that's the issue here for people that it's the hospital capacity because the virus spreads, we expect to get more cases. Uh, we do have a few more cases that have cropped up. Let me give you the audit trail of cases in the state right now. In Gordon County, there are two cases. In Floyd County, there is one case. In Polk County, there is one case. In Bartow County, there are four cases. Uh, in Cherokee County, there are two cases. In Cobb County, there are eight cases. In Fulton County, there are eight cases. In Gwinnett County, there are two cases. In DeKalb County, there are five cases. In Fayette County, there are five cases. In Coweta County, there is one case. In Lee County, there is one case. In Lowndes County, there is one case. And in Carlton, Charlton County, uh, there is one case. So we've got three counties uh, south of the metro Atlanta area, south of Macon that have it. Uh, the Albany area, the Valdosta area, the Waycross area. Uh, just one case in each of those so far. In the metro area, uh, up into Floyd County, up into Gordon County, that area, that's where it is spreading. And uh, the, those are the big areas of concern. And I, I'll just I'll tell you, my my wife is concerned. My team around me is concerned. My radio station is concerned. They would much prefer me uh, to to not be in Atlanta right now uh, to, to bunker down and stay out of public, uh, stay away from church and all that for my wife's health and for my own health. Uh, and I will be taking their advice on that. This the the problem here is the hospital capacity. It's not that you're going to get this virus and fall over dead. It's that we now know from the European from the European data set, from the Canadian data set, uh, and from the Southeast Asian data set, and and the Northern Asian data set that excludes China, so South Korea and Japan. It is 10% of the people who get this, regardless of age, wind up being hospitalized. Uh, the heaviest portion of those hospitalizations are the elderly, uh, and a significant number of those people wind up needing 
to have um, needing in intensive care. Now, I can tell you in the Italian situation, the worst case scenario, because they let it spread unabated. In the Italian situation, 50% of the people need hospitalization and 10% need intensive care. Uh, we don't want to get to a 50% situation in this country, which is why the governor is so insistent on minimizing social contact with other people because this is an airborne virus more than anything. You're more likely to get it through breathing in particulate in the air in the vicinity of someone who has it. So you want to be safe out there if you can. Uh, this is not to cause a panic. It's not to cause you to run. By the way, have you noticed in, in the supermarkets, uh, this is, is the reverse of the snow. Uh, they're they're leaving the beer, the bread, and the milk, and they're getting the toilet paper and the hand wipes. And, and I guess that's fine, but uh, you can't eat. Man can't eat on toilet paper and hand wipes. You, you got to actually go get the bread, the beer, and the meat, and the, and the milk if you're going to have food in the house. So worry about that to minimize your trips to the grocery store. It's not just the toilet paper. We'll talk about some of that when we come back. I'll take your phone calls as well. I know a lot of people still have questions. The phone number here is 877-973-7425, 877-973-7425. And also, if you want to see the Johns Hopkins link or you want Cal Thomas's book, text the word DATA to 33777. The phone number, if you want to call in, be a part of the program, ask me a question, even if you want to get outside the standard coronavirus topics here, the phone number is 877-973-7425. This just in, the International Cherry Blossom Festival in Macon, Georgia, is uh, going to be canceled as well. So we got the Masters postponed. We got the Cherry Blossom Festival in Washington, D.C. canceled. The Cherry Blossom Festival in Macon canceled. Uh, financial impacts all around, obviously, on, on all of those economic impacts as well. Uh, but definitely the right thing to do. Governor Kemp joined me in the last segment. If you missed it, he said his concern is not that you're going to get this and fall over dead. Most people are going to be fine. The problem is the rates of hospitalization. We, If we can't get this to slow its spread, we're going to max out hospital capacity in Georgia, and that's going to create a crisis. That's the concern we're dealing with. Let's go to the phones. Chris calling from Covington. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Um, my question is, since this is an election year and there's so many primaries going on nationwide, how is the coronavirus affecting primaries? Oh, that that is an excellent question. Um, so the situation with the Democratic primaries is, the, I mean, take the, the debates, for example. They, they were going to have a debate in Arizona. They've moved the debate now to Washington, D.C. They were going to have a crowd. Now they're not going to have a crowd. Uh, Jorge Ramos was going to be the moderator. He apparently had come into contact with someone who was possibly infected. So now they got to have a new moderator. Joe Biden is canceling campaign events. Bernie Sanders is canceling campaign events. Even the president, who thrives and feeds off the energy of the crowds, the president of the United States is canceling the campaign events. And, you know, uh, there is something here. The The number of people who are most affected are people over 60, and that's going to be a problem. Up oh, here we go. Uh, this is breaking news happening now. The president of the United States will be having a 3 p.m. press conference. Uh, the president plans to declare a national state of emergency over the coronavirus outbreak. And we'll be invoking the Stafford Act. The Stafford Act can be used, it's legislation passed by Congress years ago, to allow rapid response from the federal government to local entities. When the Stafford Act, a state of emergency, is imposed and the Stafford Act is used, it uh, essentially drops a lot of bureaucratic red tape and speeds aid into communities in ways that in normal times uh, moves more slowly. 
This is a actually a very good act. It empowers the presidency and the federal bureaucracy to do more with state governments than they could otherwise do. Um, it, it's, it's a pretty powerful thing that the president is doing. This, again, shows you the concern that's come up. The president, for the first couple of weeks of this, was minimizing it, and there were a lot of people who thought uh, – by stopping travel from China, we were doing okay, and it certainly bought us time. Anthony Fauci, the National Institutes of Health director, has said uh, that it has bought us time to be able to more prepare. People are complaining about the lack of testing kits. Uh, by next week, there will be several million that can be processed, uh, and it, it's it's good that we'll be able to do that. We'll be able to up the testing rates. The Mayo Clinic is producing a test out now. And uh, they're going to be able to get that into the field. I want to give you some data here before I go on to other stuff nationally. Now, this has this is the China information in it as well. Um, but let me give you the, the 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 China data. You need to understand that the the critical variables go up when the China data is out of it because we're all now convinced that China downplayed it. Uh, this was updated on March 11th, and and here's the data. The majority of infections will be flu-like, 80.9% are mild. Now, when they say mild coronavirus, that's actually uh, a miserable case of the flu, not a minor case of the flu, miserable case of the flu, but one that you survive, you stay home, you don't have to go to the hospital. 13.8% of them are severe and will require hospitalization. 4.7 of them will be critical and require intensive care. Now, when you look at Italy, what happened in Italy in Italy, 50% required hospitaliz- have required hospitalization and 10% have required intensive care. We're trying to avoid the Italian situation here. Uh, the bulk of people recover. Uh, 3.5% globally have died. If you take out China, it's 5.2%. Uh, 56.6% have recovered. 40% are currently ill. Those age 60 and above are most at risk. Um, the data comes from the first wave of infections. Uh, lung health is poor in Wuhan, China, where a lot of this comes from because of the rate of smoking. But just to give you an idea of it, uh, one in every 500 people aged 20 to 29 will get it. One in every 500 people aged 30 to 39 will get it. One in every 250 people aged 40 to 49 will get it. One in 75 people aged 50 to 59 will get it. One in 27 people aged 60 to 69 will get it. One in 12 people aged 70 to 79 will get it. And one in six people aged 80 and above will get it. Part of that is the older you get, you get into nursing care facilities, even in China, and uh, they're contained in, a, in smaller spaces where it's more easily able to get it. 14.8% of the population uh, of uh, the population 80 and older got it in China. Now, uh, percentage of, of people with uh, ailments who die, people with cardiovascular disease, 10%, uh, 7.3% for diabetes, 6% for chronic respiratory disease, 6% for high blood pressure, 5.6% for cancer. People who are perfectly healthy, 0.9% of them uh, who, who got it died. So, uh, there's the there's the situation. How contagious and deadly is it? We really don't know. Uh, now that we're looking at the data that's coming globally, it turns out that uh, it, it's actually more contagious than people thought originally. Uh, originally, they were thinking that it was not as contagious as the flu. Now we know it's actually more contagious than the flu, but only slightly. The, f- the seasonal flu that we get every year, one person will infect 1.3 other people. 
the coronavirus, COVID-19, one person will infect two to three other people. So a little more infectious than uh, the than um, the flu, slightly less infectious than HIV, actually, uh, highly less infectious than the measles. Did you know the measles uh, can infect one person can infect up to 18 people at a time with the measles? Puts that in perspective. That's one reason uh, getting the MMR shot is so critical. It avoids uh, mass infection of the measles. We had that big measles outbreak last year. If you if we had a big measles outbreak this year, interestingly enough, uh, we would have a very very hard time dealing with this situation uh, because of it. Now, um, SARS, HIV, all, all these things uh, have killed more people, and they've gotten less media attention than COVID nineteen. The reason is because of the high infectious rate of COVID-19. It, it spreads way more than these other diseases in the wild among healthy populations. And that's why there's a media concern. It is Eric Erickson here. The, the phone lines are wide open if you want to call in. If you got questions, uh, you got really anything about the news, and it doesn't have to be coronavirus, I, I'm happy to answer your questions. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If we can spend a little bit of time on, on the e- economics of this, uh, if you're not going out to restaurants, you know, so I had to come up to Atlanta yesterday uh, and had to be up here by 4 o'clock because I got my, my evening show is 4 o'clock. And I was stunned by how light traffic was in the late afternoon on the Grady Curve in Atlanta. I mean, it, it's I got up here in no time from Macon. I was shocked. Uh, and coming down Peachtree Street today from my hotel back to the studio, it was light. Clearly, a lot of people are staying home. Those people who are staying home, they're not going to restaurants. Those people who are staying home, they're not going to to other places. Uh, where crowds gather. You know, the CDC is advising everyone, regardless of age, to avoid unnecessary doctor's visits. I was supposed to go to the doctor on Tuesday, had it canceled, uh, and and that's not an age thing. They're definitely advising people over the age of 60 to avoid airplanes, trains, and uh, buses, planes, trains, and automobiles, except your own automobile. You're fine in that. So we're going to the beach in a couple of weeks, and we'll drive to Hilton Head in, in our car. And that'll be fine. I, I kind of worry about the supply situation when we get there, if I'm honest about it. Uh, we may take some extra toilet paper with us just to be on the safe side. But by and large, everybody, you'll be fine. Um, it's just what do you do? And a lot of schools are going to go out and um, they're they're going to go out early. And people are going to have to arrange child care for their kids if they can't be home, if they work. And what about people who they lose their job because people aren't going out and paying rent? This is this is what I'm getting at is this is a far more complicated situation than people want to be advised by. Uh, if I were the government, I would be considering right now no interest loans to small businesses, not just low interest loans, because there are particularly restaurants. Restaurants are very thin margins and having to add interest, no matter how small the interest is, having to add the interest there compounds the situation for those restaurants. So I think it would be worthwhile considering no interest loans for businesses because the other thing you have is what about the hourly worker who if they don't show up, they don't get paid. If they don't get paid, they can't make rent. They can't buy groceries. If they start to feel bad, they're the ones who are still going to come into work. Look at the guy at the Waffle House up in Canton, Georgia. He had to go to work if he wanted to make money. And so he wasn't feeling bad. He wound up having the virus. We do not know about um, – has he spread it to other people? We, we just don't know. It is not an easy situation to deal with. It is not an easy situation financially for the government to deal with when the government is in as much debt as it is. 
It is not an easy situation to deal with if you're a business. Uh, what I would tell you to do is I told you in the first hour. In fact, you know what? Let, let me read it. Um, I, I got my, my, my newsletter out this morning. And I'm still trying to do the Substack thing and, and build this newsletter out. And let me just read you my piece. And yes, I am reading here. Many places of worship are going to close their doors in the coming weeks to prevent COVID-19 from spreading among the congregants. It's a reasonable decision in light of the age of the congregants in most places of worship and the highly infectious nature of COVID-19. But remember Jeremiah 29.7 says to seek the welfare of the cities in which you're in exile and pray for those cities because there you'll find your welfare. At a time of growing antagonism towards people of faith in this country, churches, mosques, temples, and synagogues need to consider stepping into the breach of fear and going towards the illness, not away from it. So, do an audit of your congregation. Some of the members may not be active. Some may not have set foot in the church in a while. Find where they are, those who haven't been. They're still part of your church family. Proactively reach out. Let them know that whether the church doors can be open or not, the people of faith are not going to close up shop. Get volunteers who are willing to provide meals and check on those who might be sick. Teach your congregants safety and sanitation skills so they don't spread the virus and don't pick it up if they're out checking on people. Make your presence known to the people who are sick. Remember there are those in your congregations who don't want to ask for help. Go to them first. Be proactive with them. Go to them directly. Insist on providing help, whether they like it or not. Be their family. Be insistent with them. Once you've taken care of the flock, spread out in your local community. Provide for those in need. Offload the government burden onto the congregation and free up the government to help those that you can't reach. Help local nonprofits help others. Make donations to local food banks. Be willing to go help at the soup kitchen during this time of need when other people may not be able to. Now's the time to show your community what loving your neighbor is all about. And it doesn't just mean welcoming in to a building one time a week. It's more than an hour on Sunday. It's more than an hour on Saturday. It's about seeking the welfare of your neighbor, the saved and the lost, the believer and the unbeliever. It's time to prepare. It's time to serve. It's time to run towards the ill, not away from them. You may not be able to meet this weekend, but you can drop off meals. You can check on people, if only at the other side of the door through which you talk to them to make sure they're okay. You leave something on the outside of the door and make sure they know it's there. Seek the welfare of the places in which you're in exile because you're going to find your welfare there. It is something that people need to be in mind. The idea of shutting down churches is anathema to a number of churches. And I get that. There are small churches. I'm seeing uh, on social media, a lot of major churches are getting attacked by smaller churches for daring to close up shop that, well, you guys have live streams. You can do this. Our church can't. I understand that your church can't. What can your church do to make its presence known uh, if it can't meet on Sunday? Uh, the gathering of people in churches. I mean, ultimately, here's what you, you have. You got a small church. Is the majority of your po- of the population of the church over 50? If so, you probably do want to consider not meeting on Sunday. If the majority of your church congregation is over the age of 50, you probably want to not meet. And you're saying, well, well we got to meet. And what happens if people get in the habit? Well, here's the situation. It does you no good to meet on Sunday and have half of your elderly population die off because they get the disease. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to put it that bluntly, but given the fatality rate that we're seeing among senior citizens of this disease, um, it, can you, if you're a small church, if you're a church of 100 people and the virus spreads in the church, the mortality rate for people is 15 to 20%. Can you, if you're a church of 100 people, can you lose 20 members of your congregation? 
can you bury 20 people from your church? I mean, that's that's a relevant question you're going to have to ask, I'm afraid. If you're a church of a thousand people, uh, what about that? I mean, this, this is why they're closing. Listen, if Mark Dever uh, from Capitol Hill Baptist Church and Al Moeller from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary can shut things down, uh, it, it's not just them. Uh, it, don't let pride be a problem for you. Now, what do you do when you're shut home? Now, there are a lot of people who can't be shut home. There, there are a lot of people that you got to go work. If you're a plumber, if you're an electrician, if you're a waiter, a chef— you can't just stay home, and, and the government's going to have to f- figure that out because, frankly, there are a lot of people who aren't going to want you in their home. We're going to have to figure these things out. What do you do? What do you do if you're home, though? Well, if you're home, if you got to work from home, let me tell you first, uh, as someone who works from my home, I- I'm actually at the point where I want an office to go to, and I want an office to go to because I— during the summer, I love my children, but they have a hard time recognizing that I, I also have a real job, and it doesn't look like a real job to me. I mean, I'm sitting in my office with a microphone talking. Uh, what exactly are you doing, Dad? I'll turn on the radio, and you can you can find out. Um, but if you're working from home, have a designated place that you do it. Here's the most important thing I found from working from home as someone who fell out of the habit. Get up and take a shower and get dressed. Don't be in your PJs all day. You would be amazed what that does mentally to you to just lounge around in your sweatpants all day without actually getting in the shower and and doing a normal routine. Keep your work routine that you do. Just go to a table or a desk in your house and not to your office. But, but, but there's another issue here. Binge watching TV. Surely there are things to binge watch. And by the way, what are we going to do with movies? You know, they pushed James Bond off. James Bond is was going to come out next month. He's now going to come out in in November. What about Mulan? I mean, audiences in China they're not going to want to go to the theater to see Mulan. What about American? Audience? I've been dying to see Mulan. I actually am excited by this movie. Are they going to push off the date for that? My my daughter is desperate for Black Widow to come out. She wants to go see Black Widow. I, I don't know what they're going to be able to do. And, you know, this is starting to highlight a problem with Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus launched with The Mandalorian as their lead series. The Mandalorian doesn't come back until August. Disney+, Plus does not have a lot of good new content. Netflix actually does have some good new content, and Netflix has a huge database. Uh, you know, if you've got Apple, if you've bought an iPhone or something in the last year, you get free subscription to Apple TV. Check out some of the Apple TV shows that you got. If you've got a new iPhone or you got a new Mac, uh, the, the, the morning show is actually reasonably good. It's not as good as I expected it to be, but it's good. It ends on a good note. C on Apple TV plus, I had no expectation that this would be a good show. And I wound up deciding that I would watch the whole series, even though I, there were some things that really offended me in it. Uh, and there were some things that I just, I, I just didn't care for, but as the season went on, it got better and better and better and better. And my goodness gracious, uh, it wound up being an, an excellent, excellent show. Uh, and so I recommend that. And The Crown, of course, on Netflix and Stranger Things on Netflix. There's a lot of movie-watching opportunities out there and binge-watching opportunities. If you've got HBO, uh, there's there's plenty of HBO to binge-watch. I, I wonder if cable and, and phone companies that provide Internet are going to have to take the caps off. Have you thought about that? Because a lot of cable companies, you know, we wound up, I, I don't want to give the name of the company. I'm I'm imminently associated business-wise with this company. But but my cable company, we were busting through the caps at our house. And oddly enough, though they said there was no penalty, we were just getting a notice in the mail or, or notice on email that we were busting through the caps. 
it, it, our internet started running predictably slow every time we got the you've busted through the caps. And, and we were busting through the caps three quarters of the way through the month. And then it got even more like halfway through the month, we're busting the caps. And the internet starts slowing. So I actually bought a business line for the house because there are no caps on the business line. And so I can do the live stream. Although if you, I haven't live streamed much this week because they've been working in the neighborhood and it's messed up the whole internet connection in our neighborhood. Uh, so I hadn't been able to broadcast. Now I'm about to have to get an Ethernet hardwire into my computer for the, the live stream. But um, it, it does make you wonder if everybody's going to be working from home and everybody's going to be binge watching TV because you can't go to the theater. You can't go to your local sporting event. You got you got to watch TV. Uh, a lot of you have streaming packages. You're going to bust through the caps unless the cable comes to do something. And by the way, that reminds me, I, I've got a brilliant idea. People are still going to want to watch March Madness. I realize that the NCAA is canceling March Madness. If I were CBS, I would be going through and building a a game matchup of the greatest upsets in NCAA history over the last 30 or 40 years. And I would show those games, let the advertisers go in. If people are stuck at home, they're going to want to watch. Watch the historic games. You may not get as many people um, because of live sports, but watch, I mean, watch the big games. Man, do you remember a, a few years ago, Mercer University, my alma mater down in Macon, beat Duke in the NCAA? I would watch that game again. I, I would totally watch that game again. Watch the upset games in history. Uh, bring the commentators, the current commentators, back and let them be the announcers for the game. Let them be the commentators for these basketball games. Put it all together in that package. I think that'd be brilliant. I think that's something people would watch. you got to find alternative commentary because people are going to be home. And, you know, people really aren't going to want to be home and dwell on this. Part. I'm tired of talking about it, honestly. I, and I realize I, I got to talk about it. And part of what I got to do, I, I hate to use the words deprogramming, but there are so many people out there getting such terrible advice. I, I genuinely feel like I've almost got to deprogram what a lot of people are hearing and come in and give you the facts. And here's what Anthony Fauci is saying. Here's what the vice president is saying. Here's what the president today is saying. And so many people get nonsense out there in the media these days. And I get lit on fire by people who are angry at me for contradicting the other people they've had. And all I can do is tell you what the experts are saying. And I can acknowledge that the experts get things wrong. But at the same time, we should also all acknowledge that a lot of times the experts get things right. And thus far, this is the most remarkable thing I've learned from the CDC. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and they're here in Atlanta, beautiful building in Atlanta over by Emory. They've been modeling the growth of this virus in the United States. And every single day they've gotten it right. Every single day they've gotten it right. And that's remarkable modeling. And because they've gotten it right this far, uh, they can extrapolate ahead to where it's going. And that's why the CDC and, and, and our public health officials and our governmental leaders like Brian Kemp are urging people to stay inside and not go to gatherings because they see how this thing is spreading. And they can see if we can't get people to stop meeting, here's what's going to happen. If we can get people to stop meeting, here's what's going to happen. And if we can't get people to stop meeting, we're going to have to let doctors make the decisions of who lives and who dies because we're not going to have hospital beds for everybody. We're going to be in the Italian situation. If we can keep people out of the public, we are going to be okay. Everybody's going to be okay. That's why the alarm is here. It's not over. Yes, the media is politicizing it. Yes, the media is overhyping it. Yes, people in the media are scaring you. But it is a problem. It's going to become a crisis if we can't get people to stop meeting. 
That's why, honestly, if you're listening to me any part of the, the show now covers the entire state of Georgia. And if you're listening, you should be urging your kids' school to go on and, and shut down for spring break, even if they're two weeks, three weeks out. Ours are, we've still got two full more weeks of school. Uh, I think my kids' school should shut down for the next two weeks, give them three weeks off. We've got to make it up on the other side. We'll make it up on the other side. We've got to, we'll have lead time to rearrange a vacation. But this, continuing the way we are, is going to cause more of a spread. And if you're in the middle and the southeastern part of the state of Georgia right now, you don't have any documented cases. You may have them, but they're not documented. People may have it, and they may think, oh, I've got the flu, and they're staying home. But they could spread it to other people who then go, and it starts turning up in another week. And that's part of what I'm hearing from people is they do expect we're going to see other parts of the state, including the mid-state, uh, the, in, in the, the Houston County area, the Bibb County area, and the Lawrence County area. We're going to start seeing the virus pop its head up in those areas, and you might as well start planning now. Maybe you can go another week, but perhaps, given everything you're hearing and how accurate everybody's been in charting the rise of this disease, maybe you shouldn't be playing the odds with the people of your community and should be very proactive right now. There is the the Pixar movie. It's not actually doing as well at the box office as it as I think it should. Um, but the, the new Pixar movie upward, I keep hearing a number of people tell me that it is, it's a, it's a, it's a great, 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 um, movie that it is that, that if you're a dad, you'll probably cry. And I was planning on taking my son this weekend to go see it, but obviously I'm not going to go do that. I expect the, the box office actually to, to start declining because of, uh, the numbers, because of, I mean, everybody wants to stay out of crowded places. Well, one place you need to stay out of is the movie theater. You don't want to go stand. In the, and besides, you know, movie theaters are gross to begin with. When do they totally mop the floors and clean the seats in a movie theater? Makes you wonder. Uh, I, I want to read for you real quick. Some of you may know Joe Carter. Joe Carter is uh, with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. He writes for um, the Gospel Coalition, among other things. And he put up a great Twitter thread on why people are so concerned about this so that you don't um, so that you don't get freaked out about it. It is because if you get the seasonal flu, even if you got the H1N1, the H1N1 flu was somewhat of a variant of the flu. And so, so many people have for so many years gotten the flu. Everyone alive today has been around since the flu's been around. We've built up natural immunities to it over time. This virus doesn't have any natural immunity. So it's more lethal than the flu. It's more lethal than H1N1. Uh, it gives the people who have it typically worse symptoms than the flu or H1N1, uh, and it will spread quicker. Now, while that's happening, by the way, there is a report happening out of Florida. I should bring you in on this one. My goodness gracious. Remember Andrew Gillum? Back in 2018, Andrew Gillum and Stacey Abrams, they were the two black candidates in the nation running for governors, uh, the governor of Florida and the governor of Georgia. Uh, Andrew Gillum came within about a half point of beating um, of, of beating, what's his name, Ron DeSantis. And, well, Andrew Gillum, this story uh, is, it appears Andrew Gillum, the former Democratic gubernatorial candidate, was involved in a crystal meth overdose incident at a Miami hotel last night during a uh, same-sex group sex gathering, it appears. Um, the the police are 
for the Miami police are confirming that this is the same thing from the police report. Miami Beach Fire Rescue was on the scene providing treatment to Travis Dyson. Miami Beach Fire Rescue advised officers that he was being treated for possible drug overdose. Officers then made contact with two other males who were inside the hotel room, uh, one of them being Andrew Gillum. The other guy uh, provided information so they could identify people uh, and that Gillum was definitely in the room. Mr. Gillum was in the bathroom vomiting. Uh, the others began vomiting, and Gillum was unable to communicate due to his condition. My goodness gracious. Uh, that guy almost became the governor of Florida. Scandal. Scandal in Florida over this guy. Holy cow. Uh, man. All right. Box office. I, I went to, you know, I used to be able to go to the, the whole box office mojo thing. And it just it, it it's not doing well. You know, one of the movies that's come out is The Hunt. Remember that movie was going to be sh- uh, shunned, shamed, cast out because of the um the because it looked like it was a bunch of liberals hunting conservatives and conservatives were a bad guy. Wound up not being that way. Uh, the movie I, I I got an advanced sneak of it, and it's just it's not a great movie. Uh, but it is number three at the box office, and I just don't get it i really don't uh unusually disney is not really stacking up with the box office right now okay we'll see where this goes look um i'm I'm trying to find other stuff to talk about to be honest with you but literally everything in the news right now has a coronavirus connection and i would love to be able to avoid continuing to talk about the coronavirus but this is kind of the news of the day right now folks and this is going to be the news of the day for a while we will move on from this Just like we moved on from impeachment, we've moved on from Iran, we moved on from the North Korea summit, we've moved on from everything. We will move on from this. The question is, how quickly do we move on from it? And unlike those scenarios, with the exception of Kasim Soleimani, this news cycle has a body count, and that's problematic for the political concerns of the White House, and I understand that. 